Welcome to the Magic Valley Bible Church Sermon Podcast. Magic Valley Bible Church has been serving the Magic Valley for 20 years and is located at the corner of Gooding and Main Street in downtown Twin Falls, Idaho. Our service starts at 9 a.m. and is streamed live on our YouTube channel. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.mvbibletf.org or Facebook at facebook.com slash mvbible or YouTube at youtube.com slash mvbible. Magic Valley Bible Church, built on God's Word. to see families and children and of course they are the future church and Lord saving them some of them might be preachers missionaries um, doctors teachers who knows the Lord knows but what a joy it is to be able to, to see families and and life um, take your Bibles this morning we are going to go to first Peter chapter 1 this morning of course we're taking a break from our exposition of the gospel of Mark and wanted to focus in on the resurrection of Christ. It's appropriate. I want to read the three verses that garner our study this morning, starting in verse 3 of 1 Peter 1. Peter says this, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Let us pray. Father, we, we rejoice in what has been sung our hearts are full of praise. We, we come with adoration. We marvel at your hand in, in sending your son to die and to rise. That atoning work on the cross is such a personal atonement. For those who have received Christ as their Lord and Savior, who have repented of their sins, the power of the resurrection impacts them even today. And so we ask, Lord, that as we go through this text, may we understand exactly what the resurrection has bought us and what the resurrection has brought. And so we love you and ask that you be with your servant. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Of course, as you well know, today... It's a day that we look at the impact of the most important event that has ever occurred in history. An event that shook the foundations of the world, an event that changes and transforms human lives and souls even today. It was an event that brings hope and celebration. An event that has conquered sin and death. An event that has brought the redemptive plan and purpose of God to fulfillment. Of course, that event is the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Nothing else compares to that historical event 
where God displayed a love that is so far unmeasurable, but, but yet reaches our souls. The death and the burial and the resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ is the event that shows God's love. You understand that, beloved? It's the event that shows God's love towards sinful man and yet brought redemption and salvation to those whom would turn from their sin and repent and believe in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. The cross, the crucifixion, the resurrection, motivated by love, demonstrates a love from God that is overwhelming but yet very purposeful change your life. No other event has ever had this type of impact upon the world. No other event has caused such a stir, even for those who believe and for those who don't. I'm reminded of that even this week as you kind of put out some Facebook posts about where we're meeting and where we're celebrating Resurrection Day and, 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 and we had some mockers some scorners, people who laughed. Curious as to who are these people. Dug a little bit further into why they would do such a thing. And it clearly showed me exactly what they were about. He had a boyfriend. He had a lover. And yet he is scorned by a post that he didn't even really need to, 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 to respond to. Kind of saddens my heart to know that, that there's still people who just defame this act of love. And by the way, beloved, there will never be another event like this. Yes, we can talk about the coming of Christ. It will be miraculous in its own way. But you think about what God is doing as a suffering servant coming to die and then to atone for our sins. Never is there ever going to be an event that will impact earth like the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So, beloved, the simple question is why? Why the resurrection? And for that matter, what are the, its implications? What exactly is the impact of the resurrection and why I should believe? So this morning, my desire is to show you the impact of the resurrection through the eyes of the Apostle Peter as he exhorts dear saints who are experiencing great trials and suffering. You think about the context of 1 Peter. Christians are being persecuted and killed because they were blamed by Nero to burning down the city. That they started the fires. Seems odd. But in all reality, when you think about the context and the reason what he says at the very beginning of this letter, this epistle, you can see what he's drawing upon. He's drawing upon the impact of the resurrection that they have in their life, that no matter what happens in life, even if your life is at stake, it's a reminder of the resurrection and how it changes your life. If there ever was a context that would put to test the power and truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ in a person's life and see if that resurrection, to see if that belief has any impact or any validity or any power in a person's life, it has to be when the heat is turned up, when your life is at stake. 
where you might not have a tomorrow. For Jesus' resurrection power to have any weight in the way it affects my life, it has to be when things are going bad. And your world is spinning out of control. I mean, think about it with me for a second. It's easy to believe in something when when things are going well, is it not? But when things are going bad and your life is at stake, you better have a resolve of what you know and what you believe. This is the context in which Peter writes. And instead of giving compassionate words, maybe some sympathy or or, or sort of human wisdom, Peter turns their attention and ours to the most important event and belief that one needs to hold to when your life is at stake. And that, of course, is the doctrine and theology of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Peter turns their attention towards that which is true and what they believe and what they will stand for and what they will die in. Of course, the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ has a huge impact on anyone who claims Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Look at verse 3 again. It's simply broken down in, in two bullet points in your outline. We can hang truth on these two points. Verse 3 tells us what the resurrection had bought. It's really a doxology. It's a praise, an exhortation to what God is doing, what it had accomplished. Then verses 4 and 5 will tell us what the resurrection will bring, what it has brought, its benefits, its blessings. And so with those two main thoughts that governs our text, What is it that the resurrection has has bought and brought? And let's look at what it has bought. Look again at verse 3. It reads there, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I mean, beloved, that one verse is loaded with truth. You think about the passion in which Peter writes and pens this, of course, inspired by, by God, and as he breathes this out, inspired word, it points to the gospel, it points to the good news of the fact that Christ is alive and it has an impact on your life. He says that it, you are caused to be born again. Like I said earlier, this is a, a doxology. A doxology is a praise to God. In this case, it's a praise for his redemptive work in the life of a believer. It is both a a doxology and it's also an imperative for others to praise God. It is intended to sweep your heart. It's intended to, to impact your soul with an upward, exalted praise. Now, we were singing just some, some hymns here this morning and, and just in the nuances of a new facility, and, and, and my neck hurts because what we were doing, we were looking up. But you think about the exaltation. That's where the Christian eyes go. It goes to the reality of his redemptive plan of all things. It's a hymn of praise to encourage believers, to encourage us in the throes of difficulties in life. 
And Peter's calling for you, even though the scene doesn't look good, to be joyful, to be hopeful, to have joy no matter what may be going on around us. That joy comes because they know that their God is on their throne, amen? And they know what their God has provided for them in their salvation in Christ Jesus. Oh, they may be strangers in, in this world. Their head might be, and their life might be required of them. Oh, but they have an eternal home with an eternal Father, with an eternal Savior who's looking for the day to, re, to receive them unto their home, all because Jesus resurrected from the dead. That's the cause, that's the impetus for, for the praise. Peter rightly attributes the cause and plan of this great event to God. And we see that. We notice first the source of the resurrection. He says there in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He calls the persecuted Christian to praise God. Of course, the one and only true God. The only almighty God, the living God. The God who said, there's no other God besides me. We're very specific in our praise. The one true God who came into the world in the form of flesh known to us as the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, the beauty of that name. The beauty of the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is what sums up all redemptive truth. And in it has the fullness of salvation. The God who is the source of our salvation is the God who is the one in essence with the Lord, the sovereign Jesus, the incarnate one, Christ the anointed king, the one who came to redeem us. They are both one. And you think about this. I think we understand, at least to some degree, what motivated God. But what would motivate him? What would motivate him to send his son to die and to resurrect? Well, verse 3 tells us, continue to look at it. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and here it is, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again. It was because of mercy that Jesus was sent. It was because of mercy that he became our salvation. This mercy came out of the heart of God because it is who he is. He is a God of mercy. Look to the screen above me. It says in Titus 3, 5, he, speaking of God, saved us, not on the basis of deeds, which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. Motivated by mercy. God saves you based Nothing on anything that you can do. You can't work your way to heaven. There's nothing that you can do. That is why God has to intervene. And you think about it. All the religions of the world, and there are many of them, every one of those earthly religions are trying to figure out how do we get to heaven? How do we get in good standing with God? And so they, they perform a, a, a works righteousness, a, a, a desire to be good in this life, hoping that will be good enough 
And if you think about it, Christianity is the only truth where God looks down and says, you know what, we're all a mess. And because of that, I'm going to give you mercy. And I'm going to send my son, Jesus Christ, to be your savior. He sends something that we can't do ourselves. He sends the righteous one, Jesus Christ, to be our savior. Paul says it this way in Romans 5, 8. He says, but God demonstrates his own love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When there was nothing but rebellion in our hearts, when there's nothing but we, 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 we default into sin, always. And God looking at that, he says, I'm going to send Jesus Christ to die for you. To be your sacrifice. I mean, that's exactly what John 3.16 says. You know this verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send the son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be what? Saved through him. I mean, how clear can you get? It's not Jesus plus something. It's only Jesus. What motivated God was love and mercy. His love and his mercy caused his heart to move on our behalf. To bring salvation and forgiveness of sins. To reconcile that which is sinful to a holy God. And so I think the right question to ask of the text is, is what exactly is mercy? And I think there's two sides of this, and I think you get it. One side of the coin is the one who receives mercy, and the other side of the coin is the one who gives mercy. You can be a receptor or you can be a giver, right? One is the person who understands their condition and finds themselves in a miserable and, and, and sinful condition. They are the ones who, when faced with the righteousness of God, we see ourselves in light of the holiness of God, and we what? We call out for mercy. We understand that we need his forgiveness. We understand in light of his holiness that we don't even stand uh, even close in his presence. Then the other side of this is mercy that can be given. They are the ones that can see the wretched condition of the person who is crying out for mercy and get this. Show grace. We know grace to be undeserving. But in mercy comes grace that says, knowing that you are in a condition that you can't save yourself, I'm going to save you. The merciful God who gives something that they don't deserve and gives them forgiveness and grace and love. That, beloved, is good news. That's why we celebrate Christ on a daily basis. It's just not one day of the week, of the year, do we? Celebrate the resurrection. Every day the believer celebrates the fact that grace has been granted to him and her, and we receive that mercy, and it causes us to live in such a way that our life has been bought by the blood of Christ, and we are transformed. 
I mean, the Bible tells us very clearly that all have sinned. And when I read that, I mean, all? Really, God? Couldn't I be just the one that didn't sin? Listen, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That word all there means all. Not a single one of us escapes the reality that we are sinful. Not a single one of us. The Bible also tells us that the penalty of that sin or disobedience to God is death. Now follow me here. If we know that we have sinned and that our sinfulness is going to be punished, that the wrath of God will justly fall on us, then what we need is what? We need mercy. We need His grace. And that's exactly what Peter tells us. If you look back again at verse 3, it says, Blessed be God, Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy, what does he do? Has caused us. I love this. He makes us, he, he, he turns us to be born again. That is salvation. That is only something God can do. He can, he can change the heart of a sinner and save them and redeem them. That is mercy turned into grace that brings about this transformation that Peter talks about. Being born again simply means that you are not once who you once were. That you have been changed. And in light of truth, in light of the reality, in the fact that you are a sinner in need of mercy and grace, you repent, which means turning from your sins and turning to the mercy and grace that is given to you by Christ. This grace that is unearned, this grace that only can be given by God has been given to the one who repents and believes. That's the simplicity of the gospel. That's the impact that when a sinner realizes that I'm in a world of hurt and I need grace and I need mercy, you turn to the one who gives it. I mean, no wonder Peter would start with a doxology of getting the mind of the believer focused and not necessarily addressing the hard issues and the issues at hand. He goes to the reality that they are saved in Christ Jesus. If you continue to look on verse 3, it's a long verse. He, he continues to say this, His great mercy has caused us to be born again, and what does it say there? To a living hope. That's what puts a smile on your face. A hope that passes understanding. People don't get it sometimes why you're so joyful. It's a hope that is not dead. It's a hope that is alive. A hope that supersedes this life and looks forward to the eternal life. In the light of this, grace and mercy... You ask the text a question, how did God bring this wonderful salvation to us? You can see it there at the end of verse 3, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It was because of Jesus Christ that we have God's mercy and grace. It's because of Jesus Christ that you have forgiveness of sins. Notice it doesn't say anything about what you bring to the table. It's all of work of Jesus Christ. And this is what makes it so awesome here. God looking at our condition, understanding that we are sinful, 
that were headed for his wrath, headed for his destruction. And by the way, that wrath and destruction is just. For him to be just and holy, he has every right to punish those who come against his righteousness and holiness. But in the midst of that justice, he brings love. He steps in and intervenes and saves us through Jesus Christ. I love what Acts 4.12 says, and there is salvation in no one else, not even yourself. For there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus' resurrection from the dead has brought mercy and brings a living hope, a salvation, a grace, and forgiveness. To that we shout hallelujah. And I guess the question that begs to be answered before we move any further. Some might be here this morning not knowing exactly. I hear about this grace. I hear about this mercy. I hear about this resurrected Lord. But how do I appropriate that to myself? I want what you're saying, preacher. I want that grace. I want that mercy. And I'm going to tell you something very simple. It's a matter of recognizing your condition and repenting, and trusting the Lord, and asking for Him to be Lord of your life. As simple as that. You're going to say, well, preacher, that's too simple. Well, listen, you can't do anything anyway. You need mercy and grace. But what He does is He applies the faith for you to respond. If you can't earn your salvation, what you need is somebody to buy it for you. And Jesus' blood does that. Your faith in Jesus Christ, turning from your sins, is the only way that you will be saved. Jesus said this in John eleven twenty five. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. We've had a lot of funerals over the last so many weeks. Every one of those funerals, I walk in there and I put, it puts a smile on my face. Why? Because those individuals love Christ. And though they have a body that is being celebrated and a life that is being, being exonerated and, 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 and just coming around the family, listen, because Christ lives, they too will live. He who believes in Jesus and his resurrection which, by the way, is God's statement of conquering sin and death. If you believe in that, we'll have life, eternal life. And the pulsating question of your heart is this, do, do you believe? Do you individually believe in Jesus as your Lord and as your Savior? Listen, it's not that you come to church that makes you saved. It's not because you've been raised in a Christian family that makes you saved. For that matter, you can't even make your own self saved. It is only through repenting and believing and turning in faith to Jesus Christ that you're saved. Each heart must turn and believe. And so the question is, do you believe if so, the text says that you will have a, a, a new life, a born-again life. 
It will show that your profession is not empty, but, but is backed up by your actions. It will radically change your life. Each one of us who have done that has a testimony. I, I think about my interaction with my dad. My dad, as you can imagine, a very tall, statured guy. He was a sinner. He played basketball for the University of Nevada, Reno. But he was a stern guy. He came home and said, Dad, I'm saved. I found the Lord Jesus Christ. I just started preaching to him. And he looked at me and says, get off your soapbox. We'll see what happens in a week. I was devastated. Thinking, what in the world? The greatest news that has ever impacted my life, sharing it with the one that I love the most, my dad. And he says, we'll see. By the mercy of God and the grace of God, he continued to change my life. And my dad saw that. I remember this conversation at the table. There had been some time, about a year, year and a half, that went by. He says, you know what, son, I've been watching you. You remember that day when you came into the, my kitchen and you said, hey, you found Christ, that you're saved? I said, yeah. I said, I remember that because it, it hurt told me to get off my soapbox. He goes, that's why I bring it back up. He goes, I know that Jesus Christ has saved your life. What you're doing and how you're living. And because of that, I can see life in you. Went so that I would have an interaction with my dad and, and go to seminary and, and interact with him. And, 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 and in the midst of all of that, on his deathbed, I remember him saying, hey son, I just want to remind you I believe in the same Savior that you believe in. I mean, you talk about just transforming a, 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 my heart to see Christ do what Christ does, saving people. This is what Jesus does. He makes you born again. He changes your life. He radically makes you a new creature in Christ Jesus. That is what the resurrection has bought. But it doesn't stop there. I mean, Peter goes on to talk about some of this. He, he talks about what it brings, what it has brought. And real quickly, none of our, our time. Look at verse 4 with me. It says there, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled, and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. I mean, you talk about sealing the deal with this type of verbiage. If you're a born-again Christian and, and have a living hope only in Jesus Christ, he says he gives you an inheritance. It doesn't stop in just changing your life. It gets better. He's going to give you an inheritance. And you and I both understand what that means, that there's something waiting for us. And for the Christian who is in light of persecution and facing death, these are sweet words of hope that you have an inheritance that is, that is going to be given to you. And look what he says. He says three things about this inheritance. 
He says it's imperishable, which means it will never pass away. If you're like me, I'm going through my cupboards. Everything seems to expire when you want to eat it. Not so with the inheritance that Jesus brings. It's imperishable. It means it will never be corrupt. It has no shelf life. Two, Peter says it's, it's undefiled, which means it is pure. It knows no evil. And three, it will not fade away. It means it will always exist. Beloved, the resurrection of Jesus Christ and your faith in it is not some wishful thinking. It's not some fairy tale. It is real. It is imperishable. It is undefiled and will always exist. And if that wasn't enough, look at verse 5. Look who has the power and strength to secure this resurrection hope we have in Christ Jesus. Where verse 5 says, who are protected. You are protected by the power of God through faith for salvation to be revealed in the last time. He says, you're going to go through much trials. You might, be, you might be killed for your faith. But listen, I have the power to get you through all that. And even if they take your head, they won't take your soul. God has given us salvation, which have its fullest measure. It will be revealed for us in heaven and eternity. That is power to not only save you, but protect you and to keep you. That is assurance. No wonder he starts these verses out with, with this doxology of praising God. He understands the fullness of salvation and all that it brings. Now listen. There are two types of people here in this room. Those who have received that resurrection, that power, that life, that forgiveness, that grace, that mercy that we've talked about, that Peter points to, or you're one here living outside of that. You're here thinking, it's Easter, I need to go to church. Somebody invited you, somebody brought you. And out of love, they want you to hear and understand that there's mercy and that there's love and there's grace only. Whatever the reason why God has drawn you to this place here this morning, I want to tell you that there's only one hope that you need to walk away this morning, and that is Jesus Christ, who is Lord and who is Savior, who has the power to change your life. The question is, will you receive it? Will you repent and will you believe? And for those who have received this grace and mercy, rejoice. Rejoice in knowing that even though life might be in a mess, he lives and he's on the throne and he's given you an inheritance that's imperishable. Amen? Let us pray. Father, we, we thank you for the morning and taking our hearts through three verses that, that shows us the impact of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus, we marvel at your hand, your grace, your mercy, the fact that you have atoned for our sins on the cross. You endured 
such brutal punishment in the midst of this crucifixion to die for us. For those who would believe in you, you atone for their sins. And God the Father looks at that demonstration of his fullness of wrath poured upon Jesus and he says, this is all good. I'm satisfied with my son's sacrifice for sinners. And because of that, Jesus says it is finished. And he goes to the grave. And the whole world thought this is the end of this Messiah. Yet Sunday came, and the stone was rolled away. And there was no grave that hold or held his body. The disciples came, Mary came. They came and stooped in and looked to see, could this be true? And Jesus, you displayed your resurrection first to Mary, your tenderness and compassion, and then to your disciples. And Scripture tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that you appeared to, to over 500 witnesses. Nobody can disclaim and disprove the reality of the resurrection of Jesus. And so much so, that resurrection power still impacts our lives today. It changes us. Father, I do pray for the hearts of the individuals that are even listening to this online, Father, that you may grab their souls. If they don't know you, Father, may they, they, they understand the importance of coming and receiving grace and mercy. If they don't receive and repent, listen, they will die according to your word. The wrath of God will be upon them, for there is no sacrifice for the unbelieving. But for those who believe, there's only Jesus, and we say that with great adoration and praise. Yes, there is only Jesus, but he is sufficient and he is enough. He is our great high priest. He is our Lord. He is our Savior. And so we thank you for your love, your grace, and your mercy. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Magic Valley Bible Church Sermon Podcast. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.mvbibletf.org or Facebook at facebook.com slash mvbible or YouTube at youtube.com slash mvbible.